Hey, what's up? My name is Steven, and I lead Avenue Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, along with my wife and an incredible team. We really have a desire to see people experience God's unconditional love, find their true identity in Christ, and live out their purpose. And we would love to connect with you. You can find us on all social media platforms simply by searching Our Avenue Church. You can also check us out online by going to OurAvenueChurch.com. We really pray that something in this message inspires and equips you to experience the way of life you were created to live in Christ. Enjoy. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I'm going to read. We're probably going to hang out in 1 Corinthians 7 this Sunday and a little bit throughout this month as we look at God's plan for our relationships um, between a husband and a wife, um, dating with our kids. We're going to look at these hugs and kisses from, you know, first dates, first kisses, and dirty dishes, and something's missing, right, the longer you're together. So if you're in 1 Corinthians 7, say I'm there. Oh, you guys are moving so fast. So... Um, Paul is writing this, and he wrote the majority of the New Testament. Um, he was um, persecuting ch- Christians, and then he became a church planter, and he says this. He says, I say this as a concession, not as a command, but I wish everyone were single just as I am, yet each person has a special gift from God of one kind or another. So I say to those who aren't married and to widows, it's better to stay unmarried just as I am. And then verse nine says, but, everyone say but. If they can't control themselves, they should go ahead and marry because it's better to burn, it's better to marry. Some people are like, it is better to burn than to marry, right? No, (laughs) it is better to marry than to burn with passion. And so right out of the gate, we're gonna address a topic that can be really uncomfortable for people, um, address the elephant in the room. Some people enjoy it. Others are just ready to get it over with. It starts with an S. Let's all say it together. We're going to talk about singleness. Where is you guys' mind at? (sighs) Maybe I should have brought a different message for you guys. Pull it out of the gutter. Let's come back. What are you? No, 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 no. We're talking. uh, You guys missed the whole verse there. We're talking about singleness because anytime you do a message, I got you, I got you. I was, I, I was waiting on that all morning, like in my prayer time, like, I'm going to get him, I'm going to get him, I'm going to get him. And so thank you for playing along. But, but anytime you go to talk and give a message, a series about, about dating and marriage, and honestly, like sometimes the single people are just like, well, what about me? And so if you were to take the single population in America, put them all together, they have a greater population than 11 other countries combined. And so here's the thing about walking the single life. We've all walked through that at some point. And Paul makes a couple of statements here that I want us to address, whether you're a teenager and single or whether you're a senior and single, this is something that we all walk through. But honestly, just like sex, it's not something that's talked about as often in the church. And so I want to say some things that I feel like need to be said um, about being single, and it's actually things that that we don't hear, or maybe we, we hate to hear, but... I will probably get some amens from some of the singles in here. Um, as a, Some of the things that, that are said, and I got this from 
an article in Relevant Magazine. It says, uh, please stop saying this to your singles. Um, as soon as I became okay with being single, God sent my husband or my wife. It's like we think we're giving a single person really good advice. It's like, look, as soon as I became okay with being single, God sent me someone, right? We get tired of hearing that. Maybe you've heard this. I've been praying that God would send you the right person. And it could be someone you've not even asked to pray for you to send the right person. Or when you go home for the holidays and mom or dad or grandma is like, when are you going to get married? And like, I'm, look, I'm just 19. <laughs> All right, give me, give, give me a second. Maybe you've heard someday you're going to make someone very happy. One of the, <laughs> one of the things I was told, and, and you know, my wife and I, we started dating at 16 and then took a break in college for a couple of years. And it was, we really needed that break and I didn't steward that break as well. And, and one of the things I was told when I was trying to hit the dating scene is I had a girl tell me, she's like, you know, you're not really the type that girls want to date. You're the type they want to marry. And I was just like, that's awesome, but don't I have to date someone before I marry them? <laughs> so how is, like, how is that going to work? And so we've been told someday you're going to make someone very happy. And, you know, I've been trying to think of someone to set you up with. And I'm like, how long have you been thinking? <laughs> like, how far down the list have you went? And, and I just want to acknowledge, like, being single is tough. And it's something that's not said often and, and some things that are true but are often avoided. And even those of us that have been married, guys, I'll be celebrating 21 years of marriage this, this summer. It's like a dream come true. It really, really is. And um, things that need to be said about singleness that is true that maybe as us married folks we forget um, is that being single, can, singleness can be very lonely at times. And some of you who are married can maybe think back to where you were single earlier, or maybe it's not too far ago, just how sometimes that, that there's a lot of emotion tied up and a lot of insecurity that comes with being single. Um, maybe you're always the bridesmaid and never the bride. Maybe like me, you're marryable but not dateable. <laughs> and, it's, and it also comes with different emotions at different seasons. You feel different when you're single in your 20s than when you're in your 30s, when you're in your 40s. You feel different when you're single and no kids. And maybe some of us have entered singleness another time. And this time we have children with us. Or maybe we were single when we were younger and now we're single when we're older. And, and the, the emotions are up and down, but there's still this essence of loneliness that we forget about. And, and then there's these emotional needs and these sexual desires that, that are powerful and, and learn to surrender all of those to Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. For those of us who've been married, we forget about that. Finding healthy ways to meet our emotional needs outside of trying to find it in a dating relationship, um, finding it in Jesus and with a community of other believers and in self-control of our, of our sexual desires. Paul says that, it's, that our passion is, is burning like a fire. And one of the things that we have to understand is, is fire in the right place, it's comforting. Fire in the right place brings warmth. Um, fire in the right place even brings purification. So passion in the right environment brings good things into our lives. But fire in the wrong place brings destruction. Passion in its wrong environment left untapped can bring destruction and even death. And so, you know, I, you know not, not, not every desire, we have to understand that not every desire 
Um, sorry, I skipped one. Marriage and dating can become an idol. Something else that's hard to hear that we don't say. Marriage and dating can become an idol. And it, a truth even for couples sometimes. That even those of us who are married, we look at other couples and say, well, my marriage isn't like their marriage, and we'll address this later on in the next couple of weeks. But for those who, of us who are single and, and dating or not dating or engaged, we, we look at what other people have, and we want that. And so then what happens is, is we try to shape ourselves and carry ourselves in a way that will help us attain that instead of shape ourselves and carry ourselves in a way that, that God is wanting us to walk. And what we're doing is we're surrendering who we are and what God has for us at the altar of pursuing a relationship of marriage. And then the brutal honesty is this, is that not every desire and need will be met. Maybe you marry your Prince Charming, or maybe it's Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, right? Maybe you have that dream wedding. Maybe you don't. And maybe your marriage doesn't happen until much later in life. And the reality, and I, like, I promise I'm going to pull this up after this, okay? Maybe God has gifted you with singleness for your life. And no single person is amening on that, right? <laughs> Unless you're like, I'm, I'm, I'm done with it. But here's, here's what I want to help us understand today, is that in order for us to be able to embrace marriage in a healthy way, we have to be able to embrace our singleness in a healthy way. Because who you are as a single person, whether you are you know, single and have not married yet, or maybe you have been married and you've had single thrust upon you through death or divorce or abandonment or whatever, you are now in a season that, believe it or not, can be a gift and can have a purpose if stored the right way. And Paul gives us some instructions here. Let's, let, let's go back and reread what Paul said. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 6 and 8. And see, so you guys just heard the part about the passion and burning with lust. <laughs> but he's actually speaking about the gift of singleness. And he says this. He says, I say this as a concession, not as a command. But I wish everyone were single just like I am. Yet each person has a special gift from God of one kind or another. So you see what Paul is saying here. He's saying, look, I wish everyone were single like me. I wish everyone has the gift that I have, but everyone has a special gift of one kind or another. Guess what he's calling? He's calling singleness a special gift. And some of us in here may be saying, it's not a special gift, it's that white elephant gift. That, that I didn't want and, and that, that I'm trying to like get rid of. There was this one time um, when I was a new youth pastor and we were having a Christmas party and we played the white elephant gift in college in my fraternity and there was some really crazy gifts given in a fraternity so I know I couldn't go that crazy and a white elephant, dirty Santa, it's just like you give just the goofiest gift that's gonna get the laughs and is you know not real offensive but maybe and so I, I was like alright, what can I give? I'm a pastor now so I kind of have to clean it up and so I'm going through Walmart and you can only spend $5 and so I got some Boudreaux's crack cream okay <laughs> and so I was like, it's got a baby on it if you don't know what it is it's for when babies have diaper rashes and it heals it up and it's actually really good for dry knuckles in case you didn't know that. You might wanna cover that label up before you're putting it on your hands. But, but I remember giving it 
and just waiting. It's like, oh, who's going to get it? Who's going to get it? And so um, this one person got it, and then I opened my gift, and they liked my gift better. And if you're playing Dirty Santa, you know what happens if you get a gift that somebody else likes? They take that gift, and they give you their gift. So I was trying to give away Boudreaux's crack cream. Instead, I received Boudreaux's crack cream. <laughs> and so, and, and nobody took it from me. So at the end of the night, I had the own gift that I was trying to give away. And I was like, this gift is completely worthless to me. Um, I'm never going to use this. Fast forward a couple of years. We have our first child. <laughs> and I was like, I've got a use for this now. <laughs> it's been, that's why I had to go dig it. And sometimes that's how we can view singleness as. Is this this gift that we've been given from the very beginning? Like, in all honesty, this is a gift that we are all born with, and we walk into it at a certain time. But some of us get that gift, and, and, and we want to try to give it away, not realizing that there are things that, that we learn during the season. There are things that we go through during the season that we may not use right now, but we may use it later on. And, and so when we receive that gift of singleness, there are things that we can learn. Now, now Paul goes on and says this. He says this. He says, um, he says, so I say to those who aren't married and to widows, it's better to stay unmarried just as I am. But then he goes on and says this in verses 25 through 28. Now, regarding your question about the young woman who, the young women who are not yet married, I do not have a command from the Lord for them. But the Lord in his mercy has given me wisdom that can be trusted, and I will share it with you. So he's, he's, he's saying, this isn't a thus saith the Lord. But he's saying, in my wisdom and my experience and what I'm seeing, this is some good advice, and I'm going to share it with you. Verse 26, he says, because of the present crisis, I think it is best to remain as you are. If you have a wife, do not seek to end the marriage. If you do not have a wife, do not seek to get married. But if you do get married, it's not a sin. And if a young woman gets married, it's not a sin. However, comma, those who get married at this time will have troubles. And I'm trying to spare you from those problems. And so Paul makes this statement, at this time, you will have troubles. Those who get married will have troubles at this time. He says, I'm trying to help you to avoid this. And this time that Paul is talking about is there is persecution going on within the church. And, 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 and the, the Roman Caesar, Nero, he's, he's capturing Christians and he's torturing them to get them to renounce their faith. And so it is one thing if I'm captured and I'm tortured to renounce my faith, I'm gonna stand strong all day long. Take my life, I get to see Jesus quicker, right? Paul says to live is Christ, to die is gain. But you take my wife or you take one of my children and you put the pain and punishment on them to get me to renounce, that's a whole nother story. Would you agree? Like that would, that would be so hard. And I pray to God that I would stand strong. But what Paul is saying, I'm trying to save you from having to face that. So that was a trouble for his time. And we have troubles in this time, the present, you know, the, the present crisis today. We have people persecuting the church, not necessarily individually, but our morals and our values are being persecuted subtly, subtly, quietly, right? 
it's, it's happening slowly and undetectably because culture is coming in and culture is fighting against it. And Paul, Paul says this statement, it's like, like how, is this, how is this a gift? And for some of you in here, I know you've had singleness maybe forced on you because the marriage ended in a way that you think it was going to end. I've seen this happen in my life when my father and my father-in-law both were taking, taken you know, through cancer. And so my mom and my mother-in-law were forced into singleness again. I'm not, I'm not saying, and I want you to hear my heart, if you've had it forced on you, I'm not saying like, God's given you this incredible gift. But what I'm saying is you can use this season as a gift and you can use this season to find purpose in it. Because he goes on to say, what happens? All right, so how can we embrace this singleness? How can we embrace this singleness? 1 Corinthians 7.32, Paul says, I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking about how to please him. But a married man has to think about his earthly responsibility and how to please his wife. His interests are divided. In the same way, a woman who is no longer married or has never been married can now be devoted to the Lord even more and holy in body and in spirit. But a married woman has to think about her earthly responsibilities and how to please her husband. I'm saying this for your benefit, not to place restrictions on you. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord the best and this is important, with as few distractions as possible. So there is this, this gift of singleness, but then there is this purpose that comes with singleness as well. And Paul is saying, look, when you're single, your attention's not divided. When you're single, you're not having to worry about the, the, the responsibilities at home and pleasing the Lord. When you're single, you just have to worry about pleasing who? The Lord that our attention's not divided, and it's in our single years that we can be fully devoted into learning our Heavenly Father's nature, His character, and His will for our life. And really what we can do in these single years is to really lean in and to learn what pleases the Lord. That we can lean into this more so than if we're dating, we're engaged, we're married, because we have fewer distractions. And you're like, man, that's, that's really heavy. Look, we've been married 21 years. I love my wife. I love my kids. I wouldn't trade anything in the world for them. But can all my married people and all my folks with kids say, like, life gets crazy sometimes? I'm just like, I feel like I'm on a hamster wheel sometimes. Like, I love the routine of school, but I hate the routine of school. Because it's like, no matter how early you wake up, it's still not enough time to get everything done. You know, I was like, we're waking up at six. Let's fix lunches. Let's fix breakfast. Let's get, you know, and, and my second grader um, is kind of like dressing a corpse sometimes. She still struggles to put her clothes on. <laughs> like, all right, babe, we got to put your arm in. <laughs> and so she's like falling over. And, but if I wake up at 530, I feel like I still don't have enough time. And even as your pastor, I still have a hard time with all the responsibilities of the day, just carving out time to focus on what the Lord wants for my life in addition to what the Lord wants for you guys. Now, I'm not saying, like, I want to throw this, like, I'm thankful for my family, but I remember the time where I was single and I did not steward the purpose and the gift that I had during that season well. 
And so I want to challenge those of you who, who are single in whatever season or reason to lean into this and not see it as a bad thing, regardless of how you got there, but see it as an opportunity to lean in and to learn what pleases the Lord. Paul goes on to say, he says this, just to repeat, he says, I'm saying this for your benefit, not to place restrictions on you. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord. So he says, look, if you're, if you're married, stay married. If you're not married, don't get married. Unless you can't control yourself, then get married, and that helps you focus on the Lord. I don't want you to have any distractions. Whatever can help you serve the Lord with as few distractions as possible, that's what I want you to do. I don't want to restrain you. I don't want to restrict you. I don't want to burden you. I want to do what will help you serve the Lord. And so I want to help us make the most of this gift. And for those of us who are married, let's, let's not go to our single people. It's like, hey, pastor gave me a whole list of things that you need to do to help you with your singleness. <laughs> if I was you, I would cut your tires. <laughs> no, I wouldn't. <laughs> Maybe, okay? But to make, make the most. Now, listen to me. Maybe you're in here and you're not married, but you're dating or you're engaged. I want you to live as if you were single, now, I'm not saying have an open relationship, all right? That'll get you in trouble, but, but live with the Lord as if you were single because you're not one. It says that the two become one in marriage. And so there, there are six practical things that, that we can help each other, and I wanna help you walk through this singleness because here's the thing, um, and I just said it, and it just clicked. The two become one. The scripture says that a husband will leave his father and mother and will become one with his wife, and the wife becomes one with her husband. And so whatever you're bringing into the, this relationship that you picked up or you dropped off in your single years, you bring into the marriage. Whatever your spouse, whatever they picked up or dropped off in their single years, your single years is a journey to your marriage. Okay? And so how can we be prepared, and how can we make the most of this gift of being single? The first is this, and this gets kind of heavy, is deal with hidden sin and issues. Deal with the hidden sin and issues, because there are things that we all, all right, let's just put it all on the table. There are all things that we struggle with, that we deal with, that we wrestle with, Paul even says, look, I've got this thorn in the flesh and I've asked God to remove it three times. We don't know if it's a sin, if it's a physical ailment, whatever it is, but everyone deals with something. But if we don't deal with it, it will deal with us. And then when we get into our marriage, not only does it deal with us, but it deals with our spouse because you are no longer two, but you are one. So what was a part of you is now a part of them. And so if we don't deal with our sins, our hidden sins, and our issues, we bring those things into our marriage, whether it's lust or pornography or lying or mistrust or greed or poor money management. If we don't steward this gift and this purpose to learn what God wants us to do in these areas, then we bring that. And it's one thing for those things to come to light. And I just had this image. If you've ever had like a splinter buried in your foot, buried in your, in, in your hand, and, and you really don't know it's there. But then over time, it's like, ah, oh, my, my finger's really, really tender. And it begins to work its way out, and it swells, and you kind of pick at it, and then, like, it, it oozes and pusses a little bit, right? 
and so it's you still can't get to it. It hurts. But what happens if you don't take care of that splinter in your spirit before you get into your marriage, it affects your spouse. And so deal with any hidden, Paul says this, or David says this, and you guys have heard me say, David prays, he says, Lord, point out anything in me that offends you. Deal with hidden sins and issues. There are some things that I didn't do that well in. And then in the first couple of years of my marriage, we had to have conversations about things that I wrestled with in college that I didn't take care of in my single years that I brought into my first couple of years of marriage. Deal with your hidden sin and issues. The second one is this, heal from past hurts. Man, and we all have those, whether it's feelings of abandonment. Many of us in here have father wounds that were unintentional. Like maybe our dads meant really well or our stepdads meant really well, but they didn't really know how to love and to lead the way that we would have liked to, for them to have. And so there's some unforgiveness there, or maybe there was some perfection for those, you know, we, we had the overprotective or the perfectionate mother that nothing could be right. And so we bring that into the marriage because we're dealing with that hurt. And I heard a pastor say this a few weeks ago, and it's just stuck with me just on so many different issues. Um, and he's a pastor friend of mine at my previous church. He says, if you don't heal from past hurts, you have the potential to bleed over people who never cut you. If you don't heal from past hurts, you have the potential to bleed on people who never cut you. Man, I know there's been things even in my relationship that, that I've brought to my wife and I have injured her because of my injury. And so I don't know what that is for you. And look, sometimes you need to find someone to talk to. Sometimes you pray through it. Sometimes it's okay. Let's go talk to a professional to help us see things from a different perspective and get some counseling. But let's work on it before we get in our marriage so we're not bleeding all over our spouse when we do get in our marriage. The third thing is this, is, is, is learn to love. And when I wrote that down, it reminded me of the Lil Wayne song from the 2000s, How to Love. <laughs> it's like you never learned how to love, right? It's like, and, and, and some of us never learned how to love because we didn't see that portrayed in the home. We didn't see either with our grandparents or our, our parents how to love each other. And the best way to learn how to love is just to practice it. Loving people who are unlovable in an everyday life, at work, um, at school, in church, okay, <laughs> right? That, that there are people that, that, that we don't like that are hard to love, man. I'm carrying so much grace and love with me in every restaurant I go into now. And just learning just to, to lead and to love people gracefully because if we can do that outside of our marriage, and we get the reps outside of our marriage and build that muscle outside of our marriage, then we bring that and it's built in. It's, in, it's, it's, it's a muscle memory when we bring it into the marriage. Uh, because there are gonna be times where your spouse is gonna be really hard to love. Can I get an amen from everyone? Or maybe not, <laughs> okay, all right. But there are, there are days where like, man, it's just so, so hard, I love you. But love is not a feeling and it's not an act. It's a commitment, and Christ showed his commitment. Scripture says we know what true love is, what real love is, that Christ gave his life for someone else. 
And so when, when we met with the youth leaders, I met with the youth leaders this past week, and, and they're talking through personal relationships. And um, one of the things that they had done in their youth group that um, we didn't do in my youth group when I was a youth pastor is, is they took the, the, the chapter on love in Corinthians where it says love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable and keeps no record of being wrong. It, it does not rejoice about injustice but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. It's always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. And I've, I've quoted that and read that at, at, at weddings and, and funerals and encouragements. And so one of the things that, that a couple of the youth leaders kind of laughed about is like, I remember that we would, uh, if we had a crush on someone, that we would put their name in the place of love. And so instead of, of being love is patient, it would be like, Jennifer is patient and kind. Jennifer is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does, Jennifer does not demand its own way. And I kind of laughed. I was like, that's, that's kind of a cool thing to use. Like, Ella, I want you to use that. Like, like when you, she hates, I put her on the spot right now. Uh, she just turned 16, by the way, guys. Come on, woo! Yeah, pray for me. <laughs> but, but I thought, that's, that's awesome. Like, these are qualities that I want my son-in-law to have that when she reads that, it's whoever his name is, I better know before any of you guys. But then I thought, no, let's flip that. For me, instead of putting my wife's name in there, Jennifer is patient and kind. How about Stephen is patient and kind? Stephen is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Stephen does not demand its own way. Stephen is not irritable because what I'm doing is like, those are the qualities of love that I shouldn't just worry about my spouse having, but that I should pursue in my life first. And so learn to love. Number four, learn to serve with the expectation of getting nothing in return. Not because you won't, but because you shouldn't expect it. And that's hard for me because I'm a servant. I'm a, like, I'm not bragging. It's like, that's my heart. My spiritual love language, like my love language is acts of service. And I have to be careful because that gets, that gets twisted. And I'm like, I do it so that I can receive affection, so that I can receive like um, affection and just have that reciprocated. But that's not the case because Jesus served without expecting anything given in return. Matthew read that to our huddle team this morning. It's like, you don't know what you're asking. He says that, that if you're gonna lead, then you have to serve. And you have to serve not expecting anything in return. And the truth is this, is, is we have to learn to serve in love without expecting anything in return. And you know, I've heard well-meaning people say, look, marriage is, is 50-50. You each gotta give 50%. That's a lie. <laughs> that is a lie. It is 100-100. Sometimes it may feel like 150, right? Sometimes it feels like you're giving 100% and they're giving nothing. But if you're single, I want you to, to, to practice and to learn to serve outside of marriage because we'll look at this in a couple of weeks. That's what marriage is. It's not about what you can get in that relationship but what you can give in that relationship. Last two things is this. 
pursue priorities and patterns over potential. That rhymes. When you've done these things and you're learning what pleases the Lord to do that, and you make your list of all these qualities that you want in that spouse, don't pursue the potential. You like missionary dating never works. Pursue priorities and patterns that are already in their life. Are they going to church? Are they praying? Are they reading scripture? Are they talking about the things of God? Are they talking about him moving and working in their life? Do you hear that? What are their priorities? Are, 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 are fam, like his family a priority? Is holding down a job a priority, right? Is bettering themselves a priority? Is protecting those that they care about a priority? Is honesty a priority? Not like, well, they're a good guy. That's not what we need to pursue, not potential. Pursue priorities and patterns over potential. And the last thing is this. The last thing is this, and it can be really cliche. And I know if I say this, some of the single folks here, you just want to punch me and be like, I get it. And it's not just true in singleness, but it's true in our marriage. It's true in our parenting. And it's this, it is trust God. If we can trust God with our salvation, we can trust him with our singleness. If we can trust God with our eternity, we can trust him with our marriage. And something that we say a lot up here is, is like Romans 8, 28 is one of my life verses and comes out almost every other week is that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So regardless of how you got to your singleness, whether you're still there or whether you're returning there, God can use it together for your good and for his glory. Something we say a lot is like nothing is wasted and nothing is withheld. Nothing that you've walked through, no matter how high or how low, God can use it. Nothing is wasted. Nothing's getting thrown out. He's using it to shape you, to form you, to purify you. And nothing is gonna be withheld when it comes time for you to step into that relationship or maybe God has gifted you with a much longer season of singleness than what you thought. He's not gonna withhold what you need to have a fulfilling life that he's called you to live and called you to have. Not just for your good, but we have to wrap our minds around this, guys. It is for his glory. It's not about us. And so even as we're talking about, you know, XOXO hugs and kisses and, and our relationship and, and walking single, it's, it's not about us. It's about a bigger picture, a greater story, and a greater good and a mightier God to bring out the best in us in our life. And so I encourage you to please trust God. Give him 100% control of making the most of this season. And I'll end with this quote and I texted Jonathan this yesterday because he's a big C.S. Lewis fan. The only thing, like, it's like the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe, but it, his words go much deeper than that at times. And this is taken from one of his, one of his books. And I'm, I want to speak to those of you in here who maybe have been single for a while, and you see everyone else getting married and starting their life, and you just kind of feel like you're hit on pause, just kind of stuck. 
Or maybe things were going well and you've had singleness forced on you for some other reason. Or maybe you know someone who has and, and you're trying to walk with them through the season. And you feel like you're just waiting and waiting and waiting. C.S. Lewis says this. He says, I'm sure God keeps no one waiting unless it is, he sees it is good for him to wait. When you enter your room, you will find the long wait has done you some kind of good that you would not have had otherwise. See, guys, we have to trust God with our weight. We have to trust God with the season that we're in, whether, you know, this hits you and you're single or whether this hits you and, and you're married and things aren't going well. And, and, and I've read these last six things on dealing with hidden sin and, and dealing with, with past hurt and pursuing God and pursuing the right patterns and learning to love and serve and and maybe you're not even finding these things in your marriage and 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 what's happened is is we didn't walk through this gift of singleness that we had in the right way and I I don't want anyone to feel any shame or any condemnation but maybe feel a little bit of conviction it's like God yeah this is a gift that I didn't ask for but I've got it and I want to make the most of it and we learn to do these things in pleasing him that's what it boils down to, is that everything you and I do on a moment-to-moment basis is to live in a way that pleases the Lord. And if you're in here today, let me tell you, there is, there is nothing else that pleases him more that he finds greater joy in than when someone who is not in relationship with him, that is walking separate from him, by themselves single, comes into relationship with the groom the Savior. And so in one sense, you're really not single. He's with you. He's walking with you. He's walking with you, and he's for you. But what that makes us have to do, guys, is we have to give up ourself, our desires to pursue greater desires that are found only in him. And there's really not anything that you have to do except say yes and say, Jesus, I give you my life. And that's hard. It's like just saying that. And we've all been in moments and places where this decision was ours to make and maybe we made it. We didn't hold true to it and you can come back and make that decision again. Hit refresh and restart and come back into relationship with Christ. Or maybe you've heard this um, petition and you've heard this a couple times and you just waited because you have too much to give up and too many things that you want to do or maybe too many things that you want to try to to get right before you say yes. The preparations have already been made. There's a story in the New Testament Jesus tells about a master who's making a banquet and makes all the preparations and invites everyone to come. And that's what he's done. He's made all the preparations and the sacrifice of his life to cover every sin that you've committed, are committing, and will commit. It's covered just simply say, Jesus, I give you my life. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you today, and you're not walking in relationship with Jesus, if you do not get that relationship right, all the other relationships will struggle. 
if you do not feel secure in that relationship, you will feel insecure in every other relationship because you're trying to place your security on something that it is not meant to be placed on. And so if that's you today and you want to say, Jesus, I give you my life, I'm just going to ask just very quickly, you can lift your hand and then put it right back down just for a moment, just so that we can, we can pray for you. Just for a moment, so we can pray for you. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray. And it's not my prayer that saves you, but it's yours. You've heard me say this a thousand times if Avenue Church is your home. And maybe you raised your hand and maybe you didn't. Raising your hand doesn't save you. It simply acknowledges that you need a Savior. Just as when my daughter falls and she reaches up for me, Dad's right there to pick her up. When you lift your hand, your Heavenly Father is right there to pick you up. And, and He embraces you with grace and love and security more so than anything in this world can. And so as I pray right where you're seated, just say, Jesus, I give you my life. I'm sorry for what I've done. I want to follow you. I trust my life to you. Thank you for forgiving me of my sins. Scripture says in that moment that all the old is gone and all the new, all things are made new. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you for this day. God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you that your word says it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It cuts between soul and spirit, between bone and marrow, revealing who we are. God, I pray that your word has revealed some things to us about us, but more importantly about you and what you want for our life this morning. God, for those of us who need a relationship with you, God, that have been carrying weight and sin and baggage and, and shame, God, we turn that over to you completely and we pick up salvation that only comes through the acknowledgement of your sacrifice and your death and your burial that you have taken our sin and you have carried that weight and that you have covered that that you have forgiven us and so Father I pray just above my voice this morning they sense your spirit speaking into their life in this moment and God, I pray specifically for those in this room that, that are walking in this season of singleness that can be lonely, can be scary, can be uncertain. We feel as if others don't understand us, we feel left out. And to hear you say that this is a gift can seem unrealistic, and I get that. God, I pray that through the power of your word, they would see what a great opportunity they have to lean into you closer than what they ever have or ever could. Giving you rights to their heart and their spirit to do what you need to do to, to cleanse their heart, to heal their wounds, to strengthen their spirit, to prepare them for what you have in store for them whether it's marriage in the future or, or serving you their whole life, whatever that is, God, ultimately we want to trust you with it and that you use all things, work all things out for our good and your glory. Father, we ask that you would seal this word on our hearts. We celebrate those who are accepting you today. And it's in Jesus' name. And everyone says... Amen. Come on, let's give God a hand clap this morning for those.